This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. In my family, everybody made the best peach cobbler. There was no competition because, you know, if you tasted hers and hers and hers, all of them would be delightful. Let's, let's get a little detailed here, Patty. Okay. What temperature... You like the peach cobbler, like, still warm out of the oven? You like it room temperature? It has to be hot. And then, for those who love the melted ice cream on top, mm. that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> who wants a cold peach cobbler? So you like hot peach cobbler yes. with, with the ice cream on top? Yes, when I can sneak a bite. It's so good. <laughs> and would you put the ice cream right on top, or would you put Right the, on top. So you like, you want that yeah, ice cream so to melt? to melt. And, and I prefer melted ice cream when I can have it. You know, like I even sit it on a heater or something because I love the soft sides. Yes. Ooh, I wish <laughs> I had some now. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Today, I sit down with Patti LaBelle, who's not just a music icon, she's also a food icon. She's written best-selling cookbooks, hosted a food TV show, she's even cooked for Elton John, The Rolling Stones, Prince. In fact, she says she cooks better than she sings. Patti? Patti can sing. Patty will talk about the role food played in the turbulent home she grew up in, share stories of touring the segregated South in the 60s. And of course, we'll discuss the viral video that made her sweet potato pie a Walmart sensation. If anybody knows Patty LaBelle, tag her in the video. Patty! Whoa! In West Philadelphia, born and raised in the kitchens where Patti LaBelle spent most of her days. Seriously, her mom used to offer to pay her to go outside, but she wanted to see what was cooking. She joined her church choir at age 12. By 16, she was in a band. And at 18, Patti and her group, the Bluebells, had their first record deal. That was 1962. Since then, she's gone on to sell more than 50 million records. Her biggest hit, Lady Marmalade, is better known as Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? In 1995, Patty collapsed on stage and was diagnosed with diabetes. She made big changes to her diet, 
then released her first cookbook, La Belle Cuisine, which featured healthier versions of many soul food classics. It was a New York Times bestseller. This past July, the 20th anniversary edition of La Belle Cuisine was released. Now at concerts, Patty's known for her stage presence. Up there, she is in charge. And it's the same in the kitchen. Here she is cooking with Steve Harvey on his TV show. It's done. The fish is done, okay? So now... God darn, Steve, come on. Tag on here. Now we played it, Steve. Well, other back. people be trying to help and all I this stuff, huh? They guess on my Steve. shit. Steve! People Give me the goddamn bottle. Okay, well, here, I'm trying. Give me a knife. Am I right? You travel with your pots and your pans when you're on I, tour? I have to. Yes, because, you know, room service can be a little shady. <laughs> and so I don't give them a chance. I cook in, in the uh, hotel suite. So tell me about your setup. What, what's the actual, what's Patty's gear when you get to that room? I bring my electric fire pan, like usually two. And if they have a, a stove with their pots and pans, that's even better. But I plug my uh, pans up and I saute my fish. And then I do my uh, kale greens in the other one. And dinner is finished in about 20 minutes. So you got two electric burners. You got mm-hmm. you got those pa- those pans. You know that you with the little lid, and you plug them in. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have your your spatulas, and you have your. I have everything. My friend Norma, she makes sure we have a trunk with uh, spices, all my spices, <laughs> because you know you're not going to buy spices in every city. So right. we bring our own. Everything is in in that case. But sometimes Patty's hotel cooking can get her into trouble, like that time she was performing with Arsenio Hall after the show. She made him dinner. I made liver and onions, and security came up and said, something's burning. I said, hush, honey, it's liver and onions. You want some? And he said, yes. It was liver and onions and a salad and some cabbage. Mm-hmm. That sounds delicious. Yeah. How do you do your liver and onions? I don't use flour. I use a little grapeseed oil, just enough to shine the bottom of the pan, season it with sea salt, black pepper, and I cook it like one minute on each side. Oof. It's thin liver. Right. People overcook liver like rocks. You know, and most people say I hate it because they've never had mine. <laughs> no, I'm serious. My friend Norma's husband despised liver because his mother used to make it and she wasn't a great cook, he said. So Norma told him, please try patties. And he tried it. My liver and onions slams. It's really good. It sounds delicious. I love liver. And I like it a little rare. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we just you put it over greens. No, on the plate by itself with the sautéed Vidalia onions on the side, Ooh. and you know with a veggie or a salad or whatever. And I just like I love liver. Do you like chicken livers? Oh yeah, I like I'm just about any liver I can get my hands on. Right, I yeah. love chicken livers. And then so you do the liver and the onions on the plate separately, but you combine them in each bite. No, no, no. I have. I don't like to bite the onion and the liver at the same time, so I'll eat some onions and then I'll have some liver. I don't like pollen stuff in my mouth like that, two things or three things at once. <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> but either way, it's good. Does the food that you want to eat or whether you cook after a show, is it sometimes dictated by how you feel about how the show went? Heck no. <laughs> how could that be? I don't, I don't, I, I couldn't do that. The energy that I get from every show is so, so awesome. I come back happy. And uh, the only time not happy is when my voice might have given out and I felt as though I didn't give a great show. Then I'm sad and I go to sleep quick. And when she's not on the road, Patty says she cooks even more. Every day that I'm in Philly, I cook for like 12 people and it's only me eating. 
<laughs> but I love to feed the neighbors, and I have people working in the house. They always get a great lunch, and I just love to see smiles on faces after eating my food. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a similar thrill to what you get when you're on stage singing? Yes, because on stage, I get standing ovations, and that's a turn-on. And when they eat my food, and they come back and ask me for, could I have a, a second? And then could I take some home? That's a real turn on. I love it. And so I have little baby containers to give everybody those little throwaways. Not my real Tupperware. But <laughs> I, I make sure everybody takes it home. Like my son and his, his wife, they're always running and busy. And he's my manager. And they have a little sweet baby. And they don't get a chance to eat. So I'll say, okay, I'm making food tonight. I'm making some uh, whatever they want. Just tell me what you want. And I got you. Patty's family comes up often in her cookbooks, where she shares a lot of personal stories. Her book, Desserts La Belle, is full of memories of people she's lost over the years. All three of her sisters died of cancer before the age of 45. Patty still feels guilty about the end of her sister Jackie's life. She told the story on Oprah. The day before she died, she asked me to make her egg sandwich, and I had just gotten off the road, and the hospital was five minutes from my house, and I said to my aunt, because Jackie couldn't speak very well then, I said, Aunt Hattie may tell her that I'll make it tomorrow. The next day, I made the sandwich. I said, Hattie, I'm on my way. She said, don't rush. Your sister just passed. And I held that, and I still hold it. Because it was such a minor thing for me just to make a sandwich because she loved the way I cooked. I miss my sister Jackie like crazy. Food was always really important in the house when Patty was growing up. Both her parents cooked a lot, and that inspired her to begin dabbling at a young age. When I first started, well, making things that I called cooking, it was, it was ketchup and hot sauce. We would go in the little back shed, and I would mix up a bunch of stuff and just, of course, not have the cat and dog taste it. But <laughs> I knew that I had done something special, and I took it into my mother, and she said, that's great hot sauce, baby. I know growing up, your parents fought a lot and eventually got divorced. You've talked about this. Yes. You said even that as a kid, you broke out in hives from the stress of watching them fight. Mm -hmm. So was food and cooking, was that sometimes part of the tension? Or was that like, like, what was the relationship between cooking and the tension that you were living with? Well, the cooking and the tension, I mean, it did get serious. I mean, of course, my mother had hot grease on the stove, you know, and my father would bother her. And he might have gotten a little teaspoon of hot grease. <laughs> But the food kept coming, and they kept cooking, and they kept loving each other but not liking each other. And so it was fights all the time, and I did break out in hives. So every Monday, my mother would take me to get this shot. But then we would have good food after that. Is there one food or recipe that you especially associate with each of your parents? The sweet potato pie. That was their recipe, but, you know, since I have my pies in Walmart, I tweaked it a bit. What do you think would have been their reaction, seeing the reaction of the sweet potato pie Walmart oh, thing? Gosh, they would say, I knew my baby could cook. <laughs> yeah, they would do a hallelujah on that one. Yeah, they would love it. Yes, the sweet potato pie Walmart thing. This was the event that took Patty's fame as a food person to a whole other level. It was 2015. Walmart was selling a line of her pies, and sales were pretty good. But then, one day, a guy named James Wright Chanel posted a video review of her sweet potato pie. 
Greetings. So, I went to the store after I seen somebody post that Patty LaBelle pie. I love Patty LaBelle. I love. Shout out to Patty LaBelle, honey. I went and bought. Warning to parents: this video pie. contains a bit of profanity. James Wright spends the first minute of the video just trying to get the box open. Patty, what you sell this bitch with? Gorilla glue? Oh, there we go. Come on, Patty. You better come out. Come on, Patty. Finally, he gets the pie out. Oh, it's so pretty. Look at that. He cuts himself a slice. Then he picks up the whole slice with his hand and takes a huge bite. His eyes roll back in his head. Then he takes another bite. And then... Patty. If anybody know Patty LaBelle, tag her in the video. Patty! Whoa! Yeah! Bitch, I turned into Patty. You turned into Patty after eating this. Then, as if to prove his point, he starts singing Patty's songs. How is it that two people who laugh together and love together Sometimes, ooh, ha, ha. Patty, <clears throat> go to Walmart and buy the Patty LaBelle pie. Patty, bitch, you are my friend. I never knew until then, but I know now. Mm. Ah! The video went viral. For three days, Walmart was selling a pie a minute. They had to scramble to get another two million pounds of sweet potatoes to keep up with demand. Patty started doing TV interviews with James Wright Chanel. She even brought him on stage to sing with her at one of her shows. And clearly, a big part of why this video resonated is James Wright Chanel. I mean, this guy Patty! is amazing. But that wasn't the only thing going on here. To help me dig deeper into this video, I reached out to Adrian Miller. He writes about soul food and African-American food history. The first thing he and I discussed is a comment that James Wright makes in the video, kind of in passing as he's opening the pie. Remember, support black people, um, black businesses. Here's Adrian. So that's a long running complaint. I mean, going to the early 1900s, African-Americans will be making a good product. It's out there, but for whatever reason, African-American customers won't necessarily support that business and may even prefer a white entrepreneur who's offering something similar it's really messed up. So anytime that there's a African-American entrepreneur really doing something well, there's always a rallying cry to support that business and help that person break through. And Patty heard that rallying cry loud and clear. She told Huffington Post that the spike in pie sales was showing people, quote, the power of the black dollar. Another reason why this video resonated, it's not just any pie, it's sweet potato pie. That was why the black lifestyle site Madame Noir called the Patty Pie Phenomenon the blackest moment of 2015. Sweet potato pie and pumpkin pie are both descended from English carrot pie. In the U.S., pumpkins grow more in the north, so you see more pumpkin pie up north. Sweet potatoes grow more in the south, so sweet potato pie is very much a part of both southern and soul food traditions, which, as Adrian Miller explains, are similar, but not the same. The difference between Southern and soul food is that soul food tastes better. Okay. <laughs> but if you want something more deep than that, first of all, you have to understand this, these are shared cuisines. So there's a lot of food items in common. So I can see why people are confused between the two. But I find that soul food tends to be more intense in terms of flavors and seasoning and the use of variety meats. Like for instance, I think the, the big dividing line is chitlins. 
which are pig intestines. You find that a lot on soul food menus. I just don't see that in white restaurants in the South or elsewhere that often. Right. And is is it fair to say that Southern food is more of a regional distinction? Soul food is more like a race culture distinction? I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, it's controversial, but what I argue in my book is that soul food is really more about what African-Americans are eating outside the South. I argue that soul food is an immigrant cuisine where the Old South is the old country and all these parts, the rest of the United States is the new country. And like other immigrants, they try to recreate home through food. Where does sweet potato pie fall into that spectrum? Sweet potato pie is one of those foods that fall into the sweet spot of Southern and Seoul. Right up there with fried chicken, mac and cheese, watermelon, to some extent okra, cornbread. You know, it's one of the shared foods. And can you give me a sense of how Patti LaBelle is perceived as a food person in the African-American community, in the world of African-American food culture? What's the perception of her and food? PSPP, which is pre-sweet potato pie, she was known really as a symbol of kind of healthy eating in the soul food tradition. Uh, because the in the 1960s, when soul food became really popular, you had a lot of traditional cookbooks and restaurants opening and that momentum carried on for a couple of decades. But then in the late 80s and the 90s, you started to see a reassessment. A lot of people were facing chronic health problems from eating a lot of, of rich food. And I wouldn't say that it, all the blame is with soul food, but that's where it was often laid. So you start to get this soul food light, down healthy soul food and other things emerging in the 1990s. And I would say that Patti LaBelle was really the first big name to be associated with that current of soul food. That's Adrian Miller. His book is Soul Food, The Surprising Story of an American Cuisine, One Plate at a Time. He also wrote a new book about Black Americans and barbecue history entitled Black Smoke. Coming up, more with Patti LaBelle. She'll share her thoughts on the role that race played in the sweet potato pie phenomenon. And she'll tell us about her experience touring the segregated South in the 60s. Plus, she explains why one recipe in her new cookbook is perfect for women going through menopause. As we go to break, let's hear a track off Patty's jazz album from a few years back, Bell Homage. It's called Peel Me a Grape. Just entertain me, hey, champagne me, show me you love me, kid glove me. Best way to cheer me, cashmere me, I'm getting Hope you're hungry, because it's time for some ads. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. 
And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line... They take cruising to another level, and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy. And the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Next week's episode will be Mission Impossible Part 7. Yes, a pasta update. Of course, if you want more regular updates, follow me on Instagram at The Sporkful. If you followed me there, you would already know that Cascatelli is now in the Fresh Markets 170 stores across the eastern United States. Go out and get it. And please note that Sfolini's shipping times are now down to just a few weeks. So get those orders in now, especially if you want to make sure you have your pasta for the holidays. Place your orders at Sfolini.com. Before we get back to my conversation with Patti LaBelle, let's hear a bit of her performing the song, If You Don't Know Me By Now. This tune was originally written for her in 1972, but she didn't record it back then. Over the years, it's been done by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, Simply Red, Seal, and Rod Stewart. But for my money, nobody does it better than Patty. Here she is performing it live on stage. Back in the 60s, when Patty and her group, the Bluebells, were starting out, they played gigs on what was called the Chitlin Circuit. 
The Chitlin Circuit was the nickname of a group of venues in the Northeast, South, and Midwest where Black performers were allowed to perform. James Brown, Ray Charles, Billie Holiday, and so many more. I mean, they all play these places. Patty hasn't forgotten those days. She told Dan Rather about dealing with racism as she and her bandmates traveled through the South. We rode through the hate. We sang through the hate. And we all grew into fine ladies. Because you let that hate diminish you if you focus on it. You know that's the way of the world. That's the way most people are in this freaking world. They ain't gonna love you, boo. So keep on doing what you do and give them a kind word and say to them, have a good day. But Patty admitted to me that as much as she tried to stay positive, it was rough, especially when it came time to eat. We carried our tuna in the car and sardines. You know, they were like 10 cents a can. And we would have our little candy bars because we would go to restaurants. Of course, we couldn't get in. And sometimes we would go to the back. And that back food was like garbage, but we had to take what we could get. And those were awful memories, you know, riding through the South and then performing and knowing that everybody is thinking another way than you're thinking, but you have to perform. And then when you leave, you might end up sleeping in the station wagon because there were not many hotels, you know, for black performers traveling through different cities. Were those audiences mostly white or black? They were white. And a lot, we were on the show, we drove to California to start touring with the Rolling Stones. So we, of course, that was a whole white audience, but they liked Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells. So we got over. I mean, we were good. But I knew that Mick was staying at some place that Patti better not think of staying. So I'm curious, obviously you've had to face down and overcome racial barriers in your music career. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've encountered similar barriers in the food world? I don't think I have. I ask because we did a whole series on our podcast about food and race in Mm -hmm. particular. I did an interview with a woman, with a bunch of different people. One that's coming to mind as I speak with you is a woman named Nicole Taylor, who's an African-American cookbook author. Uh Uh-huh. And she talked about how she's from the South. She came up, she lives in Brooklyn now. She kind of wanted to do a cookbook that was going to be sort of Southern traditions mixed with all different cultures that she's experiencing in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And she felt like she got a lot of resistance because people felt like, oh, you're black, you're from the South, you do soul food, that's your your category. And they kind of wanted to pigeonhole her and say like, well— You're a black cook. Right, you're a black cook and this book is for black people. It's like with the sweet potato pie. We would go to the South and I would— be on stage talking about the sweet potato pie. Everybody black said, woo, the white people, they love pumpkin pie. Until my pie, I have so many white followers now about that sweet potato black girl pie that I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and it's like they put us in a soul food category like we can't cook anything else. You know, soul food is good, but we can do other things too. And it's interesting to me because your first cookbook came out in 1999. Mm-hmm. The Walmart sweet potato pie thing was 2015. Yes. So you had been doing food for a long for time. A lo- for a long time, yes. Before that came along. You had the hot sauces. You had multiple mm-hmm. best-selling cookbooks. And it it seems like you weren't widely accepted as a food person by a white food audience yes. for, at, for at, a while. Yeah, at the beginning. Sure, I, I remember that now. Yeah. But you go through it, and you just know that— you must keep your mind on your product because you know it's great. And one day people will 
say, yeah, you're right. You know, they won't see color then. People are so much gravitating to me in the singing world, you know, of different races. And the cooking, it's gradually growing. Because hopefully, gradually, they will come on on the boat. And if they don't, I'm still going to cook. I'm still going to sing. It is interesting to think that there are pro- there's probably a generation of white people who knew very little about sweet potato pie. Mm-hmm. And they're always going to associate now that food with you, that you will have have introduced this food to And I have had people say that to me. It's like we, we eat pumpkin pie. We never knew about sweet potatoes. We knew about sweet potatoes, but not a pie. And that's that's a soul lift. That makes me feel so good. It's like I introduced something to you that you never thought you would eat. And also, I mean, just pumpkin pie is just the worst. Ooh, I don't I, like it. I mean, <laughs> just for, you know, am but I, I right? I guess it depends on what you spice it up with or whatever, but I'm not a pumpkin Well, girl. pumpkin hardly has any flavor no. anyway. Like, it's pretty much you're eating sugar and cinnamon and nutmeg. That's it. But uh, that was what some people were used to eating. And they still eat them because I know there's some great pumpkin pies, but I won't eat it. I guess it's a testament to the power of tradition. Yeah, you know, people feel like, well, Thanksgiving, I have to have. have you to just have, have to have, have a pumpkin to have, pie, right? You know, and like, that's so true. You get blinded to the taste. Yeah, you're like, well, I, I'm, I guess I'm supposed to like this. <laughs> that's that's the culture. Mm-hmm, that's the way it is. Before I let Patty go, there was one last thing I wanted to ask her about. There's a recipe in your new cookbook for a no bake double chocolate eclair cake, which, first of all. Sounds amazing. And then in the book, you say it's perfect when you're going through menopause. Oh, well, chocolate. Right. You know. I say it it right like I know. No, you don't really know. (laughs) It's like 25 years now that I've been going through it. it. You know, it's not just that. Anything chocolate, like I'll sneak a Milky Way if I can, you know, bites because I can't have the whole thing. But chocolate, chocolate Hershey's with almonds and things like that. And I don't know if that's just because of menopause. It could just because I like it. <laughs> and I do. But you feel like your love of chocolate has increased since you started menopause? I can't say yes. I can't say yes. No, I've always loved chocolate. And that's like my main main dessert, chocolate, anything, if I can have a little bite. And a lemon bars or lemon meringue pie, those things I love. And cheesecake. Mm. And I'm not going to lie, every now and then I will take a whole Milky Way and eat it in like one minute. And then I say, well, I'll just do more insulin. <laughs> I have to be honest with the people. I can't lie and say, no, she never cheats. Right. Yeah, I cheat. Right. But but it sounds like since you were diagnosed with diabetes, you've made some pretty serious changes. I've made every change possible. Of course, fried chicken is in my blood. And whenever I would make the fried chicken, I would eat the whole fried chicken within the, you know, if I cook it in the evening, by nightfall, that chicken is gone. So I learned I was diabetic, and so I started steaming the chicken, sautéing with lots of garlic, because the garlic and hot pepper will make you think that it's just like fried chicken. To me, it it gives my mind a, a good piece that I love. And I stopped using pork and, like, greens when people will do the ham hocks and the greens and stuff. I'll do the smoked turkey, and... I'll do turkey bacon, and sometimes I'll do no bacon because you know, I might just want eggs. But um, but but once in a while you got to cheat because you got to live. I have to live, and and my doctor said to me, Patty, whenever you feel like cheating, just cheat. When you do fried chicken, are you a white meat or dark meat person? I like the legs. Mm. I like the legs and the gizzard. 
Yes. And the Nick. I and love the, chicken uh, Nicks. The part, I, I also love the, um, well, my family is Jewish. We call it the tukus. The butt part? Yes. Ooh, I throw that away. <laughs> no, come on, Ooh, Patty. I throw the heart away and that butt. Oh, you got to eat the butt. I can't do that. <laughs> no, my, my mother-in-law used to love the butt. Yeah. No way. I chunk oh. it. Uh, if I come on tour with you, will you save me the butt? Yes, I will. And any other parts you like. Just come on tour. All right, all right. <laughs> It'll be fun. That, my friends, is the one and only Patti LaBelle. You can pick up the 20th anniversary edition of her cookbook, La Belle Cuisine, wherever books are sold. And she's back on tour. Check out her tour dates at pattylabelle.com. Next week on the show, a brand new Cascatelli update. I'll tell you the latest. Lots of exciting news to share next week. While you wait for that one, check out last week's show with Patti Hinich, host of Patti's Mexican Table on PBS. She spent a decade documenting Mexico's vast and varied food cultures. Sometimes she encounters the classic dishes of a region. Sometimes she finds brand new ones, like when she traveled to Jalisco. It's a crunchy, crispy quesadilla that's filled with mashed potatoes or cheese or beans. And they take these crunchy, crispy quesadillas from deep fried they break it into your plate, and then they put carnitas on top. Also, Patty takes a look into my fridge and tells me what it says about me. That episode's up now, wherever you got this one. This episode was originally produced by Ann Sani and me, editing help from Dan Charles. Our senior producer is... Emma Morgenstern. And our producer is... Andres O'Hara. The show is mixed by... Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music, and this week, music courtesy of Patty LaBelle. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. This is John in the kitchen telling you to eat s'mores, eat batter, and eat more butter. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.